This podcast was brought to you by Spartan Sports. This is The Running Game, a rugby podcast that covers the sport from the ground up. I'm Tim Gilbert and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Dunning. How are you, my friend? G'day, Timmy. What a week of rugby. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm fantastic and uh, what a show we've got on the way. Andrew Slack, Grand Slam winning captain of the Wallabies, joins us. And Ben Badger, the coach of the mighty Eastwood first grade team. Matty Dunning, finals football this weekend. Mate, can't wait, Timmy. What a great, what, what a great final it's going to be. We got the Reds who are undefeated, and the Brumbies. They've played twice. The Brumbies have been leading for about 155 minutes of the 160. The only time the Reds have been a bit ahead is right at the death. It's going to be a cracker. Look, I can't wait. I think the Reds should be slight favourites in Queensland, a week off and a few less injuries, but I am looking forward to see how this game unravels. The one thing that makes me wonder about is. Will there be a moment? Will there be a field goal moment in one of these finals matches? And then my mind wanders to you, of course, Matthew Dunning, one of the great exponents of the field goal. Mate, I should be making a fortune out of drop goal coaching, mate. <laughs> I am I am one from one. I'm 100%. No other, no other field goal kicker that I know of is 100%. It was for 40 metres out. You know, any other game, it would have been a cracker. For those who don't know... Uh, last round before the semi-final, we needed four tries to make the semis. Uh, a win wasn't enough against the Chiefs at the Sydney Football Stadium. The Chiefs weren't having a great year. The Brumbies were in or out depending on our result. The Brumbies had already started drinking. They thought they were, that, we, that we would go through. You know, 68 minutes in, you know, we still needed two tries. The ball pops out the back. George Gregan had been doing it all for the last three years. Play, get, get advantage. They were playing advantage pop a field goal and get the ball back and take the penalty or go for touch. I did it and it, it went straight over the dot and it, uh, yeah, it was a, a pretty big news and I remember, uh, you know, it was quite funny. It, it wasn't really funny at the time because I, I, I realised what I'd done and my teammates were just like, did you did you drop kick that? And I said, yes, I, I, I did that. And they just couldn't believe it. It was just like, Where'd that come from? Because you needed two tries. Yeah, two tries. So it wasn't as bad as the Terry Lamb one, I, I guess, when he when he was down by two and kick one, but it was up there. Anyway, um, you know, that was, we were out. The Brumbies stopped drinking after that because they realised they were in the semis. We were out and we had our sort of end of year sort of stuff, you know, your silly Sunday and your mad Monday and all that stuff that they probably don't do anymore anyway. Um, we had a few drinks after the game and, you know, commis- you know, yes, drown our sorrows. And uh, the next, you know, next morning I woke up and I had all these text messages from all the players. Are you okay, mate? Are you all right? Are you right? I said, mate, look, you know. I thought, what's this coming from? I said, you know, yeah, I kicked the drop goal, but it's not that bad. Anyway, I walked into the hotel, got the paper. For the first time ever, I read the front page first, and I walk into the hotel room, and uh, the wife says, you better turn that paper around, and uh, turn the paper around, and it said, dumb and dunning on the back page for my with my drop goal, and they, they got into me. <laughs> and, uh, oh, and, then, and then for the – and then – I don't know how the boys did it. It was Sunday. Then I turned up for the drink on Sunday. I was a bit late in the afternoon. I got there about three or four o'clock, and they had screen p- printed on the on their shirts at at, at the drink on Sunday, uh, the the back page on their shirts, white shirts. They thought it was hilarious. So they were very resourceful, and uh, yeah. And then uh, for whatever reason, a few other things happened in the next week, and there was Dumb and Dunning Part Two, which I can share another time. But you know, I'm still a bit filthy over it. You think about it. I kick a drop goal from forty meters out. 
That same year, 2003, Johnny Wilkinson uh, gets knighted for his drop goal and I get ridiculed. That's the oh, way it goes, I guess. ridiculous. You should have been treated so much better, but I cannot wait to hear part two, Matthew Dunning. That's a golden story. On the way on the running game, former Wallaby captain, Grand Slam winning captain, Andrew Slack. All right, not every day you get a Grand Slam winning captain on uh, the running game, but today, Andrew Slack, how are you? I'm in fine form, Tim. Thank you very much. Red's got a grand final on the weekend, so we're all in a happy place. Yes, Slacky, obviously your Reds are going very well, and, uh, mate, I I think they look really good this weekend at home. You know, two wins, albeit very close games previously, but they look really good. Can you put your finger on why the Reds are so good this year and, and what's been the difference over the last couple of years? Well, they've kept a young group of players who were well selected when they were young. They said, okay, these guys have got a bit of talent. We'll stick with them and we'll create an atmosphere where they don't want to leave. And in three or four years, there might be some fruit from that labour and I reckon that's what's happening. So you've got a a bunch of very good players. They know each other well. I think they enjoy the whole Queensland team thing. You know, I think over the years that, Queensland, New South Wales, Brumbies, whatever stuff has has diminished a bit because, you know, people move every five minutes. Well, the fact that Queensland, the Reds have have kept all these kids together and most of them, you know, are Queenslanders, um, I I think that's had a bit to do with it. And, you know, clearly Thorny has a a good way with them. He was an extraordinary athlete himself playing at the highest level in both league and union. And to go on to be the mentor that he has, he he really is. He's got it together, hasn't he, Brad Thorne? He's one of those blokes that could probably tap dance too. Yeah. The, the thought and the sight of it doesn't really appeal to me. To be honest with him. But, but um, look, when he was playing, and whether it was for the Broncos or the All Blacks or, you know, Leinster or Canterbury, it's just about, you know, up a Volta. He played for everybody and he won with everybody. I just loved the way he carried himself. He just worked hard. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't a poser. He just did the business. He didn't talk much. Um, and then, you know, you see him transformed to this. And I remember talking to him in the first 12 months and he, he so much admitted that, you know, he was out of his depth. But he's just like in his playing career, just soldiered on and he's got to somewhere. He doesn't do it how you or I or anyone else to do it. He does it the thorn ways. You know, it's a word that's that's used a bit now and and I think is a good one. Is he's authentic, he's authentic Brad Thorne. You know, he might have bits and pieces of Wayne Bennett and whoever else in him, but the bottom line is Brad Thorne remains sort of true to himself. And I think that sort of thing is appreciated by the players. They get to understand it and appreciate it over a number of years, which they've now had with him. I couldn't agree more, Slacky. Like if you if you, if you judge a football on their success in, you know, there's, there's not a better football than uh, Brad Thorne. Um, you're a great judge of obviously uh, 5'8s inside centres. That's where you played mainly in the centres, obviously. But, mate, James O'Connor, really impressed with him this year. What, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, amazing. <laughs> like I, I thought in the, the young year, that's what he was because he was such a, a good athlete. And, you know, he, when I say he understood the game, I think he understood the basics. What he didn't understand was the world around it. And, and you know, to be a good 5'8", you sort of got to understand the world around it as well as be able to keep catch and read play. And, you know, all that well-publicised um, stuff that he, he got up to is not going to help. Um, but, you know, he's found his own ways. You know, I don't think I can add anything that nobody hasn't already seen and that his, his off-the-field maturity has translated to on-field maturity, and he's always had the he's always had the goods, hasn't he? I mean, nobody's going to uh, say that. And the, the one thing I've 
I liked about him from day one, even when he was a bit wayward, was he, he had ticker in defence as well. You know, a bit like Johnny Wilkinson was talked about as goal kicker and all that, but God, he could tackle. Well, you know, James, he doesn't, he doesn't shirk that stuff. So I think with that maturity, his talents, and the fact that the guys know he's got some front when it comes to defence, all adds up to a pretty, pretty good package. Well, you know, he's, he's just one player of the year, hasn't he? Yeah, and when, I think when you come back, it doesn't really matter what facet of life you're in. But if you overcome whatever odds you've either been facing yourself or you've put in your way, you're even stronger. So James O'Connor, he's not an old man. So I think we're going to see him for the next few years, that's for sure. What about winding the clock back, Slacky? What was it like? Tell us for a, a mere mortal. I know Matt played for the Wallabies, but I obviously didn't. Um, what was it like being a part and captaining a side that was so dominant under Alan Jones? Um, well, it was a bit like what? You know, we we're talking about before, you've got to have the right players. Better to be lucky than good. Um, now, no offence, Tim, but if I'd captained you and your 13 or 14 <laughs> mates, we wouldn't have won. Um, yeah. We'd have had a good time. <laughs> I mean, sure, we would have played a lot of golf. Um, oh, yes. yeah, I saw Matt um, the other day at a, at a Newcastle thing, which you might remember, and, you know, I looked at the guys who were there. There was a, it wasn't a Grand Slam thing, but there were five or six from the Grand Slam. But, you know, it was far Jones and... Campisi and Rodriguez and Michael Liner wasn't there but you, you go through each of them and they're very very good players and the timing was perfect um, they're all at the well, they weren't at the peak of their careers but some were about to get to the peak of their careers or you know others were and so every, everything worked on that but it, it it happened they were good guys we all got on very well Jonesy was the right coach for that time um, and, you know, we, we had a bit of luck. As I said earlier, better to be lucky than good. Yeah, it's like I'm a big fan of. I watched a lot of you play playing in '87. I was at the World Cup and I, I saw a lot of that. You know, obviously that side wasn't as it didn't have the greatest tournament that tournament, but '86 and '84 and even before that. So it's hard to compare eras, and I hate doing that. But what were the what were the what were the parts of culture, or the parts of rugby that set you guys apart? Obviously, everyone was the same in your era, and you beat the All Blacks, you beat Wales when they were at the peak of their powers, and you you, you beat the best. What made Australian rugby so strong then? Um, look, I think belief is a big thing. Belief is not going to happen if you haven't got the the players. We suddenly realised we'd got to a position where we had enough players to make the the, the belief legitimate. Um, and each each of those players matured as it went on. I think our, our coaches all had a bit to do with it. You know, Bob Dwyer, so Tempo was a great coach for Queenslanders and in Australia he didn't get all the raps he deserved I don't think but you know Bob Dwyer had his had his way in terms of um, he came in 83 82 83 wasn't overly successful but he he wanted to create that running rugby reputation that Australia had Jonesy then came in and and added a bit of graft and hard work to it and and a I dare say a, tent, a touch of professionalism. So you throw all those things into the mix over a few years, and I keep coming back to it, a bunch of pretty good players, and and things will work well. 87 wasn't great because I think a few of those guys, myself included, had run our race. You know, our peak was maybe 84, 86, and you can go one year too long. And, you know, I think that's the individual's choice. A lot of people say, I don't go a year too long. Well, I'd rather go a year too long and not have gone the next year and found out that I could have kept doing it. But in my instance, I think in several other players, we just reached it at the end of, of 87, the World Cup. And, you know, it was a, wasn't wasn't the same success as 84, 86. Mind you, we only just missed the final by a try in the last minute. But, 
by and large, that that timing, that two or three years, there's not a heap of teams outside the All Blacks who have a a time of more than two or three years, is there? You know, mm. you have two or three where you're at a peak, and what happens next? Yeah, exactly. What about the game itself, Slacky? Uh, look, from from purely from the football side of things, and and fifteen players all in shapes and sizes, it's it offers, if I can use this word, an egalitarian view of sport, doesn't it? Because you can take all types in and you can play it a little bit older. Um, it has something that a lot of sports doesn't have and they need to really use that going forward. I, that's my thought process. Yeah, no, look, I, I think that's right and I think that's something we'll always have is that game for all uh, shapes and sizes. What we need to do is make it more attractive, I think, more regularly at the top level. Um, I, I, you know, it's a great rugby game. There's not a better... You know, I like them all. I like the Aussie rules and the league and the, and the soccer. A great Aussie, a great rugby game is great, mm. but they should, 70% of the game should be great, not 40% or 50%. And I think, you know, there's a few laws, and I've been banging on about this forever, um, where we need to, to give the game space. We need to learn things from other codes like AFL. When the ball's out of play, the clock stops in AFL. Well, the ball's out of play in in rugby, I can go and have a cup of tea, play nine holes of golf, and the clock's still been ticking. Yeah. You know, it just drives me nuts, and and I don't I don't get it. What what? And I, I'm sort of interested in Matt's view on this. And I was talking to someone about it yesterday. I want to know when the game changed. Sort of when I played, the sixteen forwards at a ruck or a mall or a tackle, a whole sixteen of them were there, and now they're all spread over the field, which makes less room for attack. So you know you. You'll find your, your back rower out in the middle defending against the centre. That's not bad nor good, but it creates less space. And I, I'm curious as to when the game morphed into that situation. Was that your time, yeah, Matt? Yeah, definitely my time. I, I think when professionalism came in, I think I think the game changed. I think people started watching the game so much more thoroughly, realised one shot, one kill at breakdown stuff. Why waste an extra man? And, and, and it did that. It, what, it, what, it, what it made happen is it means – there was less space. And, you know, from a watching point of view, I see your point, but I think it's the evolution that winning football always gets played. It happens in the, it happens in the, uh, the NRL, the wrestle, it happens in AFL. Like I remember watching AFL when the locket wouldn't move the square, but now you look at the full forwards, they run the full distance. And I, and I don't think AFL is the game. It used to be the same with, with the, way, the way they play it now, but it's the way the game goes. And, yeah, you know, I, I take your point. I used to love, you know, Dave Brockoff, eight forwards underneath the bar. Like I, I remember seeing Brock when I first came. But it was um, – I wonder how dumb we were not to have worked it out, even in the amateur <laughs> – you know, why you got 16 blacks piling there when you only need three? You know? Yeah. Anyway. But you're so right about, you know, the 70% of 80% of games should be cracking games because I, I'm with you as a, as a lover of sport. I, I just love good rugby. I mean, as a boy, I was watching all of you guys and the Ellers and when, when those games were predominantly good and, and just a spectacle. Mm. Yeah, well, that's – I mean, that's what we've got to get to now. I mean, you talk about the young – kids playing, girls and boys, of all shapes and sizes who can play the rugby. I walk the dog here with my wife. We go past a couple of Aussie rules field, and there's lots and lots and lots of kids playing that, and, and that has an appeal to, to certain types. But it's not, you know, it doesn't, doesn't um, give some of the things rugby does, and, and so we need to catch up on that. But to catch that, that um, demographic or the parents, the, the games they see on TV 
They've got to be the ones that impress them. And, you know, if you've got eight rugby league games or 10 AFL or whatever, chances are most of them will be pretty good. If you're only seeing one or two super rugby games and they both happen to be crook ones, what are you going to watch and where are you going to send your kid? Mm. So, so, you know, I'm banging on about the same point, I guess, but it's so important. And I think it gets back to creating space and making sure that there's time of ball in play in rugby. And there's, we've all got different ways of how we want it to happen, but I don't think we're near as good a game as we could be with the laws as they presently are. So, Slacky, what I admired most about you, I, I think, and this is good, goes to my next question, is you, you were the essence of rugby IQ. You know, you... You weren't the fastest, the strongest, but you you could see a game and you read a game and and you knew how to. Hence the reason you captained thirty five times out of thirty nine tests or whatever it was. I see a big problem in our game today that in Australian rugby that our rugby rugby IQs drop. I think we got as good athletes, as good a players as we've ever had. I think we got some excellent players, but I think our our rugby IQs drop compared to where we used to fight above our weights in past eras. Do you think is is something is is there a reason why that's happened in in Australia, or do you think it's just my uh, perception? Uh, well, look, you know, I think certain teams have guys who who are able to to see a game better, and if you've got a one or two guys leading that way, that the others you know jump on board. Um, I, I just wonder, and you know, I'm sort of curious of your thought in the way training is nowadays. Nowadays, is it a bit formulaic? Okay, we've got to do 10 minutes with this element. We've got to do 12 minutes with that. We've got to do 14 minutes with that. As opposed to saying, okay, we need to work on decision-making. And I don't care if we, you know, run over time and then we have to take five minutes off the line out throwing or whatever. I, I just, I'm not sure that the training as it is creates enough decision-making circumstances, real decision-making circumstances for those players, which would then enhance what you're you're talking about. I mean, I don't know how, you know, intrinsic why. I, th- I think I could read a, a game as a player. On the sideline, as a coach and assistant coach, I think I'm rubbish at it. You know, I'm sort of half involved with a, a school team up here now and I listen to the main coaches. I've got no clue what they're talking about. But, I, you know, I can see the obvious. And if I was on the field, I think I could see it. But seeing it the other side of the sidelines is not all that easy. So I'm just wondering if some coaches need need to give a bit more responsibility to the guys, not to overcoach, and then to allow them to do what you're talking about, Matt. Yeah, definitely agree. Like I, I, I remember, you know, playing with with personalities like George Gregan, uh, Phil War, you know, Steve Larkins, Rod Cafers. They would never let a coach dictate the way they played. That's yeah. pretty good luck. <laughs> it's a bit, be- it's a bit better than some of my mates. Yeah, they, 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 they never let they never let a, a, a coach dictate the way they wanted to play a game. So you said they had the structure there, but they 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 wouldn't be backwards and coming forwards if they didn't agree with something. Now that may still happen. Now I don't know. I'm removed too, but. You know, I, I remember hearing a Scott Johnson quote saying he he walked in he, he walked he's in Australian rugby and he'd been a change room in you know early two thousand or, or earlier and he'd see 30, 30 wallabies or whatever and he'd see five or six future great coaches. He came back to Australian rugby and just didn't see and it's sort of a bit different than your comment, but didn't see those rugby brains as future coaches. So it, he saw that as a as a big sort of the big void in Australian rugby from when he was there and when he left. Yeah, Look, I, you know, and moving on to, to current times, um, and I don't know, I, I met Dave Rennie once and uh, I'm really impressed and I'm, I'm clearly looking from a distance, but I get a bit of a gut feel that he's prepared to let the players, you know, I mean, coach is a coach, but he's going to let them do their bit 
without too many chains? Mm. I hope so. I hope that's the case. Yeah, well, there were some positive signs last year. Andrew Slack, um, having worked with you for many, many years, having played golf with you and got to know you well, I could talk to you all day. We'd love to get you back on the running game. Thanks for coming along. Oh, pleasure. Great to talk to you both. Thanks very much. Coming up on the running game, we have Eastwood first grade coach. Of course, he played for the Waratahs and Eastwood himself, Ben Badger. All right, it's time to head to Eastwood, and uh, it's great. We've got the coach of the Eastwood first grade side on the line right now, Ben Badger. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Tim, mate. Great to be on here, and uh, looking forward to having a chat with you guys. G'day, Benny, mate. Great to have you on, mate. Uh, A lot of our listeners might know that uh, we played together, uh, toured together. Um, Mate, you're one of the great tourists of of modern rugby. Uh, Always good fun to have on tour. Hey, Benny... um, how are you finding it? Obviously, you've been coaching for three or four years now, so it's, it's, it's probably a little bit old news. But how did you find that transition from uh, playing to coaching? Because you obviously did it you know, pretty soon after, really, really soon. Yeah, I did. I sort of I retired from Eastwood 2015. I sort of got back into an assistant role 2017. So I deliberately had a, had a couple of years off. Um, but when I came back, there were guys that I um, still played with. And you just got to, mate, you got to separate that relationship type of thing and you know you can't uh, as you sort of mentioned you can't go out on the on the boys night out and that kind of thing with them but I, I think you earn their, their respect from you know the work you do behind the scenes um, you just got to be a little bit smarter with your uh, you know your extra activities I think <laughs> Well everyone that I've spoken to who has played for Eastwood been a part of Eastwood they always are very proud of their alumni of where they came from what is the magic of this rugby club? Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, Tuck might have an opinion as well, but because uh, I get asked of it a lot, like, what is the culture of Eastwood? And oh, I just think everyone sort of buys into it. It's very rare that you'll find a, an Eastwood player um, that'll go to another club. So everyone that sort of comes here, you know, a lot of teams say, but we have that sort of you know, unofficial no dickheads policy. So if there is anyone that doesn't want to buy into our club, um, they, they generally sort of get moved on. But um, it's very rare for any of the sort of good players to sort of to leave us because they, they really enjoy the place. It's a winning culture. And I think we do tend to look after our, um, you know, our older players. Like, they'll always, you know, you see Tuck at a game or, um, you know, when you go to TG, there's always a plethora of the old boys there. So there's a really good spirit amongst the place as well, if Tuck agrees. Mate, couldn't agree more, mate. The culture of Eastwood is, uh, you know, when I was playing and we both started playing rugby, it was still amateur. So, the most important thing was to play first grade at Eastwood. You know, that's what you wanted to do when you were a kid, first grade at Eastwood. And then if you're good enough, you know, play for your state and then play for your country. But it was always to play for Eastwood. And I think that's something that set Eastwood apart in a lot of ways. And um, obviously you're still at TG, but, um, you know, that's going to come to an end. Do you think that'll affect the culture? Well, how's it looking? What's going to happen with the move and where's it up to? Look, I'll be honest, guys, it's a little bit above my pay grade, but I, uh, we are, it is inevitable that we, we're going to move to Castle Hill, whether it's next year or the year after. It's around that sort of timeline. But oh, I think, you know, it is for the best interest of the club. A lot of people don't know the financial situation attached to TG Milner and the actual rugby club, Eastwood Rugby, that, you know, we were treading water for, you know, 20 years sort of thing. So this will um, sort of ensure our future and just, you know, realistically, demographically as well, like a lot of our, you know, the big Eastwood Junior area is out. I know, Tim, I think your son's at Dural Rugby um, and, you know, we're heading out to Castle Hill. That's where it's a huge growth area in terms of, you know, Sydney in general. And it's a good growth area for Eastwood Junior. So well, I think it's, you know, it's a good financial decision and it's a smart strategic decision. It will be yeah. leaving TG. We all love it. 
but at the same time, you, you've got to get with the times. Yeah, that's that's the part that uh, disappoints me. And as you say, it's 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 for other people to discuss. But it's such a a wonderful ground with such great history. I, I, I wish it could stay, and these types of places could stay forever. But that's for another discussion with probably someone else. Let's talk about the strength of the club uh, in terms of participation, uh, right down to the bottom levels. As you say, my son's in the twelves at Eastwood, and look, there there is spirit right throughout the grades and the ages. Yeah, and I think. T- uh, Tucky touched on it, the fact that when you're growing up, like me and him grew up, and you know you want to make the Eastwood under-10s team, you want to make the Eastwood under-12s, and you sort of, you almost grow up, you know, every year wanting to make the Eastwood team sort of thing, so I think the, the connection's right from the start, and we're very lucky in terms of, you know, you're probably finding it right now, Tim, we've got a lot of good coaches and volunteers mm. in that in that junior area, that it sort of really helps us, so we've got a really good foundation. So when they come up to grade, I'm sort of lucky in the fact they're already connected with the club. A lot of my job's done, you know, occasionally we obviously, you know, get guys from a different region or something and they sort of get in doctrine, so to speak, into the Eastwood way. But that's mainly because, you know, 80% of the players have, you know, grown up wanting to play for Eastwood. Mate, first grade had a great win on the weekend. I watched that game. It was gee, it was a, it was a, it was a back and forth, almost like basketball. Tries here, tries there, and you know, good free flow rugby. How's the side looking this year? Obviously, you know, close loss the week before in Mudgee against Sydney Uni. You must be positive about the season. Yeah, look, we're, look, we've got a really strong squad. I managed to maintain, um, you know, by I think it's like eighty percent of the the guys from last year's grand final team, the guys that have left have uh, gone on to super rugby. So that's a, that's a pretty good result. And, you know, we've got a couple of key acquisitions. So, you know, my, as my goal as a coach has always been to get sort of one better every year. So, you know, my first year we came third, second year we came second. So, you know, we, we've all, all got our eyes on sort of, you know, the, the big one this year, so to speak. How much has that stand contract helped, do you think? Well, I think it's great. Like every, literally every, obviously I talk to a lot of rugby people. I own a gym and a lot of people come through my door and um, they're all, you know, everyone mentions, oh, it's so good. I got to watch you on the weekend, you know, or just general people will just mention how they got to watch the rugby. And then they'll talk about the little six minute clips. They get to watch, you know, take the pick Randwick or someone else as well. So I, I actually think the stand thing's brilliant. I, I know what you guys think as consumers as well, but I think it's a great, no, great I think it's great. Mate, couldn't agree more. Uh, uh, Benny, the, the stand thing is a, is a massive hole we've had in the market of, of free-to-air for many years. and it, it, it's you know, There's a lot of problems in rugby at the moment, but I think that's one part that they're getting right, and I think the stand thing's the best thing that could have happened, and I think uh, that engagement's been great. But obviously, a lot of areas to work in on rugby. You, you're a great rugby man. You know, you've know, you played rugby since under-11s or, or before. You, since Eastwood, you've played since under-11s. Uh, you went to the King's School. You've played club rugby. You've played super rugby. Mate, where do you see rugby in Australia at the moment? Obviously, the positives and and some things they can improve. Um, yeah, well, I suppose there's it, so much negative written about rugby at the moment, isn't it? So that that's a bit of an issue in itself. So you know, I'd like us to you know focus a little bit more on the positive stuff involved in rugby. And there is a lot of positive stuff. And if you look around the world, rugby is actually growing everywhere else. I believe so. Like you talk about England and France, all that huge numbers, Japan, like what a massive growing league that is. So, um, you know, there, there is room for us in Australia to regain it. I'm pretty sure, but um, it, you know, so let's, let's not stop being so negative. That'd be a starting point for me. And obviously, you know, it's, it doesn't come as rocket scientists, and I've actually listened to a few of your guys' podcasts before, and everyone's talking about it. We just got to reconnect with, um, you know, people, fans, volunteers, juniors, everywhere. I think I'm I'm no Einstein, but maybe ten or so years ago, we went for that top-down policy with it, with our funding and everything. And look, it just clearly hasn't worked. I think everyone's got to admit that. 
Um, and now it's time to sort of, you know, reconnect, um, you know, with the juniors and get people, you know, the Waratahs are a good example. All, all my mates are, are rugby guys and they couldn't name five of the New South Wales Waratahs. Now, now that's your state team. If you, if you can't do that with diehard, you know, I grew up with rugby guys, um, diehard rugby fans, that, that's a big issue. So that'd be probably one of the areas I'd, I'd start with in terms of trying to reconnect, um, you know, I don't know how you do that. I don't have the answers, but you've got to reconnect with the public. Yeah, and that that often will come through the way that the game is marketed and the PR in and around the game uh, is is to make sure that they hit the mark, hit the community mark, hit that point of difference. And look, I've mentioned it a few times here, having been a bit late to the game with rugby, having covered all sorts of sports for you know three decades, there is that wonder, that little bit of magic inside this game, which is not with many other games, not with many other teams, that that great sense of team, community beyond the, the football field, all that stuff. Yeah, I agree. And like, I, I think rugby is one of those games, like the best game of rugby is one of the best sports in the world, isn't it? It's just so entertaining. And the fact that you've got not many sports offer such different body types that, that rugby have. So it's a little bit something for everyone. You know, the young kid growing up who's a little bit bigger, you know, he, oh yeah, there's a couple of big boys out there. The tall kid sees the big tall second row, little fast kid sees the outside back sort of thing. So it's an amazing sport if we can get that connection right. I agree, Tim. Yeah, Ben, I think I, I agree with everything you're saying. Like, I think the issues we're having in rugby a bit at the moment was obviously one of them was was marketing and how we're selling the game. I think Sands uh, filled a massive hole there. We've, we've filled a massive hole there with Stan. I think it's a great initiative and it's unreal. I think the other one is that I totally agree with you and Tim is that fan and community engagement. And that's what we need to, you know, the, the loss of development offices in, in New South Wales. Um and clubs, I wonder is is what do Eastwood do? Because I'd really like to hear this. What do Eastwood as a grade club do to engage with their sort of juniors and um, and schools and communities? If you do, if you do, if you're involved with that, Ben. Yeah, so we've got someone on full time, a guy named Craig Hawkins, who's um, rugby operations, and he spends, mate, he's literally every day out at a, out at a different school or a different club, helping out with the juniors. So that was a, especially considering we're going to move into that hills area. He he does a lot of work out in that Hills district, you know, he coaches, you know, junior girls school teams out there because obviously junior girls rugby is a big growth there mm. as well. So we've had a real strategic priority and that's obviously, you know, as well to get our name out in that, in that community and that kind of thing as well. But we've, we've definitely made that a bit of a, you know, focus point for us to try to increase that engagement for, you know, when we do move out there, as many people know, at least know what Eastwood rugby is. And I'm like, oh yeah, I might go down and watch an Eastwood rugby game or I might get my kid involved in Eastwood Juniors. So we are trying to get a presence out there. Good stuff. How, how do you reflect finally? How do you reflect on last year's grand final? I'm still very upset, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine. I, look, I, I've, I've tried to hold it till the end because, you know, you did you did say that obviously you want to go one better and, and it's very difficult, isn't it, when you get to the final stage and it doesn't happen. Yeah, look, it is. I was, you know, I was, you know, upset, spitting tears, whatever you want to say, for a, for about two weeks and it took took someone else to say, oh, look, it was a really good season. I snapped back and said, oh, yeah, we bloody lost sort of thing. But look, in its whole, it was a really good year for us. We had a really, really young squad and a real, you know, from the previous year, it was about 10 different new players. So we did really well, but I know Tuck's probably played in losing grand finals. It leaves a bit of taste in your mouth. So hopefully uh, that'll drive us, uh, you know, to go one better this year. That's the hope anyway. Mate, Benny, one of the most important questions I've got to ask is, is you've been one of Australia's 
rugby's biggest bachelor for many years. Are you still a bachelor? Or are you, uh, have you found have you found the one? <laughs> Thanks for bringing this up, Tuck. My uh, my mum will be very happy uh, to let you know that I still don't have a girlfriend. So <laughs> I bought a, I got a little pup, so I've sort of upgraded. Maybe I've got a little uh, Australian bulldog girl. So. Maybe I'm moving in the right direction, but uh, yeah, still, uh, still better get on the search for that one. So if you know anyone, Tuck, yeah, flick me a number after. Maybe one of the listeners. Well, the Honey Badger did it. Maybe you could do it too, but just don't do what he did. He made a terrible PR decision. We could get our marketing people. Speak to your marketing people. It might be our first promotion on the running game. Get Benny a bride. Uh, look, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And all the best with uh, the mighty Eastwood side for 2021. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Enjoyed it. That's it for The Running Game this week. We'll be with you every week with more rugby chat and great interviews. Follow us on your favourite podcast app. Thank you today, of course, to Andrew Slack and to Ben Badger. Thanks to our wonderful sponsors, Spartan Sports, and our great producer, Dan McHugh. We'll see you next week. Cracking show, Timmy. See you next week. Can't wait.